1029 The Hog presents another Bob and Brian podcast. Grab your family, a date, or friends and get yourself reacquainted with the movies today because the big screen is back. Get your tickets today to see Candyman and other great blockbusters at MarcusTheaters.com. There's something for everyone at Marcus Theaters. All right. Friday morning. Must be time to talk music news with our music expert, Gary Graff. Good morning, Gary. Good morning. How are you? We're all good. That's good. A little hot. A little hot. It's going to be hot, hot. hotter yeah. tomorrow. I don't know how hot it has to get for you to say it's a lot hot. <laughs> yeah, because that's bordering on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, let's get to music news here. The big sure. big news of the week, Charlie Watts passed away. Yeah, yeah, that's a sad, yeah, sad story. Unexpected, even though the, the Rolling Stones had come out and said that due to health reasons and a recent procedure, which they never really talked about, Charlie Watts wouldn't be doing the tour. I don't think anyone thought his passing was imminent. But Well, they actually know, said that he would join the tour when he was feeling better. If he was feeling better yeah. at some point. So I so, assume that he was uh, trending that direction, like, well, he's just not ready to go yet. Exactly. And so nobody does know what, what happened. And I spoke during, you know, during the past few days with some people who are definitely on the, what you'd call the Rolling Stones inner circle. And they were shocked as well, you know, shocked to the point where they could barely speak. So, you know, this, this was a surprise. I think this was genuinely a surprise either to everybody or to all but a precious few. Well, when you think of the Stones, first of all, it's Mick and Keith. Right. Um, and then I would was Charlie the furthest from the spotlight of all the stones? He was the furthest from the sensational spotlight in terms of people who really appreciate stones or appreciate music. I think it was widely understood that the stones were the stones as much because of Charlie Watts as anything else. I mean, you know, the guy was not in drumming discussions, he tends to get buried, you know, behind the Keith Moons and the John Bonhams and the Neil Perts and the all the prog rock octopus, you know, flailing limb guys. Charlie Watts was the definition of a great rock and roll drummer. Understated, played just behind the beat so that he could make sure the song stayed together and kept going when Keith and Ronnie or Keith and Mick Taylor or Keith and Brian Jones went off into whatever weird guitar netherworld uh, they were apt to go on to. He was, he was the rock of the Rolling Stones, period. And in terms, if I were, if I were teaching somebody to play drums, and you've heard a lot of professional drummers say this since Charlie passed, if I were to teach somebody to play drums, he's the first guy I'd take him to and say, listen to these, you know, three, four hundred odd Rolling Stone songs. That's how you play drums in a rock band. There's no question that that was how good he was. Did they have any other drummer in their early, early days? Did they have no. anybody else? Or was he nope. There's no Pete, there was no Pete Best. before There was there. no Pete Best in the Rolling Stone story. It's been Charlie Watts for 58 years. And so now what do they do? Well, now, you know, they, well, the most really thing that came out yesterday was Concerts West. The promoter said tour is going to go on as scheduled. We're going to start on September 26th in St. Louis. And, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when they're actually on stage in St. Louis on the 26th. And that has as much to do with other factors as Charlie's passing. But they've got Steve Jordan, who's about as good a replacement as you can get. 
you know, he, you know, he's played with Keith a lot. He's a tremendous drummer in his own right, and you can bet he he's done more than his share of studying Charlie Watts over the years. So he will he will be able to to be the rock that Charlie was. But it'll still be sad to look at that stage and and not see Charlie, to not have that great Charlie moment in Rolling Stones concerts where Mick would make a big deal out of introducing Charlie Watts, and you know well aware that Charlie himself you know, kind of kind of shied away from the spotlight, but they would get the whole stadium rocking when they introduced Charlie. What well, did Keith say that his guitar licks laid down in a bed that Charlie Watts had prepared for all these years or something oh. like that? It was I mean he they they all he got credit. It's just like he wasn't the guy that you know, he wasn't Tommy Lee right. where he was gonna play the drums upside down, upside down on a with hairspray and women's clothing on and twirl the drumsticks. No. And have ass chaps on or stuff like that. He was, Touch. he was Charlie. Charlie just played the drums and Charlie played was, them great. Right. And, you know, one of, and what people, you know, he he came from the jazz world, and so one of the one of my great and what will prove to be last Charlie Watts moments was when they were playing here in Detroit in 2015, and the night before their big stadium show, their touring saxophone player Tim Reese did a jazz concert at a small place in uh you know just up the road from the stadium and charlie came in and sat in on a couple of frank sinatra tunes and it showed you what he could do in a jazz setting not just in a rock setting and that will be uh that's one of those moments some uh, i'll be forever grateful that i had how great would it have been to see charlie watts playing drums for frank Oh, wouldn't that have been something? You know, although Charlie didn't—he was take, quite capable, obviously. Charlie didn't take guff from anybody, so I'm not sure. You know, if Frank would have given him uh, any guff on stage or not. I mean, <laughs> this is this is the man who did the. His most famous story is punching Mick Jagger when when Jagger called him his. You know, called him up one night at the hotel, said, uh, "You know, Oi, where's my drummer?" And Charlie not got just punching up. Mick in the mouth. Right, he got out of bed, got dressed, got dressed, suit tie. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing, knocked on the door. Mick opens the door. Door. Charlie, uh, yeah. Charlie punches him in the face and says, "Don't ever call me your drummer again. You're my effing singer." Right. Ha! It's a great story. Tremendous story. And yeah. It's been validated. So that's know, as good really... as that's as good as any band throwing TVs out of a window or trash in a hotel room or driving or even... a car into a pool or whatever you want it, you know. And typical of Charlie Watts, it doesn't have to be something as big and bodacious as that. It can be as simple as putting on a suit, going upstairs and punching your singer in the face. So do we I'm sure it'll be a very private funeral. I I, I, I totally suspect it will be. Although he had, you know, he had a great many friends in the music world, so uh you you hope they get to their opportunity to pay tribute. Very popular in Britain because he did he did hang you know as private and quiet as he was he did hang out in the clubs and and musicians there genuinely loved him. So you know the you know it might be a a large turnout but it won't be a huge public spectacle. How did he make it his whole life without? Carpal tunnel syndrome, or some of those other drummer maladies. That he wasn't. He wasn't a slammer. You know, yeah. watch the videotapes, and you'll see. He he did not play. He wasn't histrionic. He did a great economy of movement, just like there was a great economy of of what he played. Yeah, when you look at his drum kit, it could have been around in 1965, and it was. You know, it's it, yeah. it, 
You know, he didn't have the big drum set. Like, ah. again, I go to Tommy Lee. Right, he didn't need There's two other bass, drummers yeah. other than Tommy Lee who did that act. He didn't, yeah, he didn't need two bass drums. He didn't need five rack toms. He didn't need 30 cymbals. Give him a hi-hat, a, a crash cymbal, a ride cymbal, a floor snare, a floor tom, a rack tom or two, a bass drum, and he, he's fine. You've got all you need. Yeah, that was a, obviously a shock because you said even people close to the Stones were... We're yeah, taken maybe, back by yeah, this news. Yeah, very, you know, really, really taken by surprise. So, you know, he's he deserves every good thing you're hearing about him and more. All right, moving on. Uh, Don, the, Don Everly. Oh, there yeah. you go, yeah. Yeah, poor guy. I mean, you know, poor guy had the misfortune, A, of passing, B, of, of passing just a couple of days before Charlie Watts, who was going to gobble up attention. But Don, Don Everly is one of those, you know, the Everly brothers are one of those foundations of everything we know about rock. Uh, primarily in the harmonizing and the way they approach their vocals, but also as a songwriter and a producer. I mean, he really he really did a lot. And, you know, the Everly Brothers were one of the all-time greats. And while not discounting what Phil brought to the duo, you know, Don was the first among equals. He was the creative driving force, you know, much like Brian Wilson was with the Wilson Brothers. You know, it's hard, it's hard for everybody to be on equal footing in those kind of partnerships. So Don, Don was really the main driving force and architect. And he and Phil spent 10 years not talking to each other, right? Right. Yeah. At least 10. I think it was so did we get cheated more. out of, were we cheated out of 10 years of the Everly brothers or was he busy with other things at that time? Yeah. I mean, they both did other things and you know, one of the, one of the things that did have, you know, they kind of stopped around the time of the British invasion. And so that was almost maybe better. And it allowed the British invasion to do what it did, you know, which was really was eclipse so many of the great American acts at the time. And then when they finally did reunite, there was a real power. Uh, you know, first, we had missed them. And secondly, there was a real power to their performances. Those, those reunion shows were great. And they made, they made a great album when they got back together. So, you know, the silver lining of a bad time was it maybe wasn't such a bad thing for them to have spent that time apart. And the they beat- joined the Marines. Both Pardon? of them? Yeah. Really, Don and yeah. Phil. Yeah. Well, that explains for a little time away. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, certainly does. You know, you, you, yeah, the Marines are pretty serious about you being a Marine for yeah. the time that you've signed up for. Yeah. Well, that, no, that was that was prior uh, oh. to, to the fame. Not, okay. So they, came, so they came out of the Corps and started, and started singing. Yeah. All right. Uh well, speaking of the British invasion, let it be the Beatles. What a reissue! Yeah. Yep, uh, as we know, you know the, the the big let it be thing. Of course, is going to be Peter Jackson's new version of the Let It Be movie. Uh, you know, which is coming out three two-hour episodes, six-hour totals. That's going to be over Thanksgiving weekend. But to accompany it, we're going to get a Let It Be box set, and that is coming out well in advance, so you can study up. Uh, on October 15th, it'll be five CDs and a Blu-ray version of the album. It's going to have a new mix of the original album. It's going to have the sessions they did at Apple Studios, some jams, some outtakes. It's also going to have the unreleased version that was produced by Glenn Johns, the original producer. This is kind of the bare bones, you know, before Phil Spector got a hold of it and added the strings and the lushness. Uh, it's just going to be just like they did with Abbey Road and the White Album and Sgt. Pepper's. It's just going to be this big box set of all sorts of 
Beatles stuff, most of which you haven't heard before. It's been 51 years since the Beatles have worked together, really, since they broke up, right? Right. I can't believe we keep getting stuff that they've got, that they've had locked up somewhere or some other alternate uh, versions of songs and stuff. How much more can there be? Well, they went nuts because they were around each other all the time, so... Well, keep in Apparently mind they, they recorded every minute of it. Yeah. Well, they did, and they did. You know, they did X number of versions of any given song, even something as seemingly simple as "Please Please Me." There's a bunch of takes of that around, and there's apparently an appetite, ap- an appetite, an appetite. That was pretty good, see, though. That That's... was good. We're gonna we're gonna send that to the Oxford English Dictionary. Copyright that. <laughs> we heard it. You heard it here on uh, on uh, August August twenty seventh at eight fourteen a.m. It's ours, damn it. Anyway, yeah. there there is an there's an appetite and an appetite uh, for you know version twelve of Love Me Do or you know version sixteen of Let It Be or version eight of Get Back. People just people want those songs. They want those recordings, and so. Whereas once upon a time in the music world, you never thought about putting this stuff out. But now people want it, so they're putting it out. And I don't doubt we'll get a revolver box set one day, and we'll get a rubber sole box set one day. What are we talking about dollar-wise for this box set for Let It Be? You know, these usually usually roll in in the, you know, $100 plus when they first come out. Is it a limited edition? No. Okay, so. But I think it's one of those things where they have rolling production. So as the orders come in, you know, they, they, they press them up. But it won't be on vinyl. It's all going to be on disc. It'll eventually be on vinyl if it doesn't ah, come out. If it ah, doesn't come out. Oh, yeah. See? No, if it doesn't come Here out Here we first. go. <laughs> Another issue. Another, well, we're, now we're issuing it on vinyl. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Now, this is, listen, this is how they do it. Billy Joel just announced uh, coming in November he's going to have vi- the vinyl collection volume one, which will take us through Songs in the Attic. Um, you know, and Springsteen did that as well. He's done a couple of volumes of his vinyl uh, things. You know, vinyl, vinyl is its own entity again, and so those become events. They turn that into events. You know, hey, the catalog's back on vinyl. Is that what will happen to Aerosmith now? They just sold everything, right, to yeah, uh, well, Universal? It, it isn't rights they sold. They signed up for a partnership with a Universal Music Group, and it's basically a global alliance, and it'll include recorded music, merchandise, all sorts of uh, audio, video, virtual projects. It's, basic, it's basically Aerosmith finding a new home, actually returning to a home they had during the 80s and early 90s at Universal, and saying, here's all our crap. What are we going to do with it? So you'll see reissues, you'll see box sets, you'll see special Internet-only content. You may, you'll see a... Uh, their YouTube channel will will be spruced up and have more content. Hmm. Uh, you'll just get a whole lot of Aerosmith because this does this does give Universal Music Group uh, complete access to the band's vaults, to the private uh, things that each of the band members have, and you know Universal will be in charge of curating all this and 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 giving Aerosmith content is the buzzword to the people. So can Universal sell, you know, to uh, Chevy trucks or Ford trucks or Kellogg's cereal? Yeah. Uh, they, can, they can probably with the, you know, with the band's agreement. 
Okay. You know, this is this isn't like these other deals we've spoken about where, you know, David Crosby or Joni Mitchell or, you know, Mick Fleetwood or Lindsey Buckingham sell their song catalogs, you know, to a publishing company. This is a partnership where the two the uh the two entities will work together to exploit the catalog. Well, NBC right. used Dream On for a promo during the Olympics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They sold it was, to it was, And it was awesome with Steven Tyler's vocals, the way they lifted them like that. Yeah. No, I, and it, listen, Aerosmith has never, has not been one to be very precious. Uh, they're not whores, but they're also not, <laughs> but they're, but they're, you know, Who they're is not a gonna, whore, Gary? <laughs> they're not going to turn down a good opportunity when they, when it comes their way. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's talk about pretty girls for a minute. Carrie Underwood's back on uh, Sunday night football. Yep. Uh, you know, waiting all day for Sunday night. They filmed a new, a new, yet another new version of it. Uh, it's going to be, this is going to be kind of a virtual tailgate party and that'll be, you know, so that's going to be this year's version Who's of it. Song is that? Who, who Joan did? Jett. I hate myself yeah. for loving you. Yeah. Tailgate party. I just no, I'm and waiting all day oh. for Sunday night. Okay. Yeah. And so, so, you know, this is her standing. I think this is, what, the 12th year or something for her uh, doing been, this. Since we bumped Faith Hill, it's, it's been, been 12 years. And how long did Faith maybe, Hill maybe, do? Maybe not as, maybe I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm just getting my blonde country singers confused, but... But I, I think it's been it's been quite a few years for Carrie. I'll look that up and re, and report back. How do you like her uh, her duet with Jason Aldean? By the way, it's good. Okay, you know, I wouldn't expect it to be anything less. You know, putting those two together with a good producer. But right. uh, you know, I'm sure this thing will will be leaked out before that. But September 12th will be the official debut of the Sunday Night Football Carrie Underwood theme. All right, let's finish up with the uh, with the other pretty blonde, Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, so we have we know a little more about what happened last week. You know, we talked about this altercation with her housekeeper. Uh, the police were called in, but no charges were filed, so on and so forth. Apparently, the argument was over Brittany's dogs. The housekeeper felt the dogs weren't being properly cared for, so she took them to the vet, had them checked out, then took them to Brittany's dog sitter. And then Brittany went off thinking that the housekeeper was also reporting to her father, you know, the conservator, Jamie Spears, and, you know, that would allow him to use this as ammunition against her. Uh, Whether or not that was the case or not, they had a dust-up about it. Uh, After the dust settles, the housekeeper's not there anymore, but the dog sitter still is. And that's all there was to it? That's, That's apparently what there was to it. All right. Oh, yeah. So. There you go. Is that Britney's paranoia? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Well, you know, I mean, I think it's if it's paranoia, it's well-placed, given given what she's been going through, you know, throughout the conservatorship and <laughs> and during these hearings. So. All right. Well, Gary, so, we're out of time. All right. We'll close by wishing you a happy 30th birthday to Pearl Jam's 10 album, their debut. It's, it's 30 years old today, so worth mentioning. All right. We'll talk all to right. you next Friday, Have Gary. Have a great weekend. Stay all right. cool. Gary Graff. Our music expert.